1: It was a 50% differential, and so for us, that shaved about nine years off of our fire path that we didn't know we were on. We thought we would retire in our mid-50s, and we ended up retiring in our mid-40s instead.
0: This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. My name is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we're going to answer a question from the Marriage Kids and Money community about early retirement. That seems to be a popular topic lately. <laughs> Second, we are back with our Be the Change segment. The focus of this segment, everybody, is to highlight nonprofits or charities that are dedicated to helping children get a better chance at a great life. So this month... We'll be featuring the chief communications officer from Child Help. That is Daphne Young. She's going to share the state of child abuse in our country, how COVID and the global pandemic is making it worse, and what we can do about it. And last but not least, my daughter Zoe will join me to read our review of the month. And we're going to have a quick chat about money books for kids. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question on Facebook at Andy Hill MKM from Nate, and here it is. Andy, my wife and I are interested in fire, but we don't have the income to make it happen. We both have nine to five jobs, two kids, and a lot of life's expenses. Do you have suggestions for increasing our income so we can make fire possible for us earlier than our 60s. All right, Nate, thank you very much for chiming in and sending that out on Facebook. I appreciate you connecting again, everybody. That's at Andy Hill MKM. If you have a question. To help me answer Nate's question today, I'm happy to be joined by Allison Tom and Dylan Redling, the co-authors of the new book, Start Your Fire, A Modern Guide to Early Retirement. And for those of you who have been long-time listeners, you may remember that we interviewed Dylan back in 2017. Man, we're looking back now about how he and Allison achieved early retirement living in Northern California. You can find that episode at marriagekidsandmoney.com Slash Session Nineteen, and I'm glad to have him back as well as Allison today. Welcome to the show, Dylan and Allison.
1: Hey Andy, how's hey it going?
2: Andy,
0: great to be back. And everybody just a little inside baseball. These are really good friends of mine. We were roommates at FinCon. Was it 2018? Is that right? In Orlando? It was. was. So anyway, we go back a ways, but let's have some fun answering Nate's question today. So Nate is interested in fire, wants to make it happen, thinks income might be the issue. How can Nate and his wife increase their income to make fire a reality?
2: Depending on the age of the kids, they might be able to utilize their kids as an asset. Maybe their kids are old enough to do a little bit of work or put them, you know, make earn a few extra bucks. But before, and I'll let Allison talk a little bit about income earning opportunities. But you actually posed a question on Twitter, I believe, yesterday, Andy, which I thought was really good, which was, "What's easier, increasing your income or reducing your expenses?" And when you want to reach fire, it's really a combination of both. So I would actually start with what are some of the ways you can reduce your expenses before you even try to increase your income if you're really trying to retire before you're 60? So for us, that was something that helped us tremendously. Yeah. The biggest one, as you may remember, was paying off our mortgage, which I think you've recently done as well. Congratulations. Yeah. Most people may or may not know the three biggest expenses are housing, transportation, and food. So once we were able to reduce our, our housing tremendously, that accelerated our path to fire by about nine years transportation, we always advocate buying a used car, um, using public transportation, even biking and walking if possible. And then for food, actually, let me shoot it over to Allison, because she's our meal planner and our grocery shopper. So any tips there?
1: So we live within walking distance to our local Chinatown. And so anytime you can go to a more ethnic marketplace to find food you're bound to find some really good deals so i'll go into chinatown like towards the end of the day and they're always trying to get rid of stuff at a discount because they don't want to carry produce any longer than they have to so they'll They'll sell bags of fresh spinach or broccoli for a dollar. So things that you would go into Safeway and buy, you know, for three fifty, five dollars a pound, you can get it for a dollar for like three pounds in Chinatown. So if you live near a Chinatown or near a Mexican grocery store or like an Indian food food supply store, you can get some really good deals. On stuff that you may not know what they are, but, you know, you go on Google and you do a comparison of the picture with what you've got and you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's Chinese broccoli. Great. I can use it like regular broccoli. And you save a bunch of money on that. So that's just my insider tip on getting food for for cheaper. You should see what she brings back from Chinatown. I mean,
2: gigantic bags of fresh produce for like a dollar each. And so it doesn't sound like a lot of savings, but it adds up over time. And I think just cooking at home in general is is a great way to save money. Especially now with COVID, it's hard to go out to eat anyway. So in terms of increasing your income though, because that was Nate's question, I do want to address that. So, you know, I think first and foremost, if you have a full-time job, see what you can do to maximize your income there. So, and, and I know it's probably hard right now with coronavirus because there's a lot of layoffs and things of that nature. But if you if you do, if you are fortunate to still be working, really do what you can to get that promotion, to try to get a raise. And what that involves really is practicing your pitch, doing your research. Are you really getting paid? what others in your fields are, are also getting paid for the same line of work. And then if you don't get that, if you, if you get a no, first of all, be prepared for a no. And if you do get a no, one thing that we did, we worked in the, in the internet and tech sector, as you know, and so I worked at a lot of startups. And unfortunately, there were a lot of layoffs, especially when the markets were bad. But I was always ready, even if there wasn't a layoff, to look for another opportunity if and when one became available because usually you can get a bigger increase in salary by jumping jobs, unfortunately. I mean, I wish you could, I wish that wasn't the case, but usually that is the case. In addition to that, work from home opportunities, I think, you know, obviously right now, especially with coronavirus, it's harder and it's probably not as safe to go out and work out on the front lines so if you can find work from home opportunities and i'll just give one little example so when we were building up our nest egg we actually created a side business so like 2003 to 2007 i discovered a niche sort of marketing opportunity online by uh, what I basically did was promoted online dating sites like match.com and eharmony on google adwords that was the entire business and it was just an arbitrage business that I ran on excel spreadsheets and i ended up making as much money as my regular job with this side business so that particular business probably isn't available to a lot of folks anymore, because a lot of things changed in that industry. But the point is just that if you can find a niche and really work it and find something you enjoy doing, because I really enjoyed that that business, it could be a great opportunity to earn extra income.
0: So I understand real estate was also a way that you guys created some more income for yourselves. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: We stopped being landlords about seven years ago, but we did have a period of time for about five to seven years, maybe seven, where we were landlords. And it started by, and this is actually a pretty good tip, I think, for anybody who's looking to add another source of income. We bought a multi-unit house, and so at the time we were still living in San Francisco. We were living in the Mission District in a, in a, in a loft. It was it was quite nice actually, but we wanted to move into more of a more of a neighborhood, and so we found a great neighborhood. It's the Castro neighborhood you might be familiar with. It's an amazing neighborhood, but it's very expensive. And so w- what we decided we would do is buy a multi-unit house, live in one unit, and then rent out the other two. So we got a, three, a threeplex, a triplex. And it was a very interesting experience. Our thought going into it was that we'd always have friends or even relatives who could fill those vacancies. But it turns out it's really hard to find To make that work, because everyone's living situation is so, you know, it depends on their situation and their timing and where they are and if they're in a lease and all that stuff. So we ended up never really renting to any friends or family. We were able to get pretty good tenants. One of our units was a studio and that one had a lot of turnover. And I think it's just maybe the nature of a studio. It's a single person. They move around a lot, a lot of times, change jobs, et cetera. The two bedroom that we had, we got some great tenants and they were there for the duration. And that was awesome. There are some pitfalls, like it was a rent control building. And so it's very difficult. You can raise the rent, but it's very small increments. And so over five to seven years, towards the end of it, we were really renting at a much lower rate.
1: Yeah, we also didn't know the rule, the rules behind rentals. Like we didn't know what the one percent rule was, and so we just kind of bought this place more as a way to, to get into a better neighborhood, rather like we didn't know anything about house hacking or all that stuff that we know about now. For us, it was just an opportunity, and so we learned a lot. You know, for us, I think real estate investment is more for the younger people, as it were, <laughs> um, who have the energy and the time. Or I mean, you can always obviously hire a property manager, but that, of course, eats into your revenue. So it's, it's a balance of whether or not you wanna pay someone to do the work and then that means you have to buy more rental properties. I mean, we know people who make a lot of money renting properties we know people who have not so it's it just depends on where you buy it's all about location it depends on when you buy and if you can find the right tenants but for us at the end of the day we we bought and sold a lot of places looking for the right place to buy and then as it turned out the best opportunity for us was to move 10 miles across the bay buy a condo in Oakland for the same the same square footage In Oakland and then pay off our mortgage by leveraging the cost of living in Oakland versus San Francisco, which at the time was about 50 percent difference. Now it's probably 25, 20 percent. It's it's they're basically like on par with each other. But back then it was a 50% differential. And so for us, that shaved about nine years off of our fire path that we didn't know we were on. But yeah, it made us, we thought we would retire in our mid-50s and we ended up retiring in our mid-40s instead. So
0: That's incredible. Yeah, you were looking at not only a way to make money through the rentals, but then you figured out a way, hey, maybe we can just save a lot more money by living in a town that's not that far away, but has a major major cost difference. Well, that's, that's, those are really good insights for Nate. I think Nate has a lot to think about right now with his situation. I want to catch up with you guys a little bit. So Dylan, last time we spoke on the show, you guys had done your early retirement thing. You were traveling around. So it's been three years. What have you guys been up to? And I know that probably COVID has thrown a little wrench into it. So what's been going on with you guys? Oh,
2: my gosh. Yeah. I mean, all of that. So we've been so busy, Andy. It's been amazing. COVID has thrown a little wrench into things, obviously, for everybody. But since we last spoke to you, gosh, we've done a lot of travel. So in 2018, we traveled to China and then we did an interesting trip in in the U.S. We went through Michigan, your neck of the woods, up into Toronto. We had never been there before.
1: did Niagara Falls. Then we went down to Florida, so we spent a week in Disney World beforehand because Dylan Dylan had never been to a Disney property before. So we thought, okay, when's the next time we're going to be in Orlando? Let's go to Disney World and do it do it right. So we spent six days in Disney World before FinCon. so that was a lot of Mickey Mouse. and <laughs> uh, A lot of rides and a lot of hot humid weather. that was it was fun. It was an, it was an awesome time, I think. yeah.
2: And then 2019, I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but I had a really bad problem with my hip for years and I was limping around and it it was just, it got to a point where the only way to fix it was to actually get a hip replacement, which is, it sounds crazy for someone my age, but so I did that in 2019 and it's been fantastic. Like now I can do basically anything. I feel like I'm 25 again, so
0: Talk to us about the healthcare ramifications because somebody who's looking at early retirement, they're like, well, what about my healthcare? If I can't have protection from my job, how did you handle the healthcare situation with hip surgery?
2: Well, we use the ACA. You know, every state is different. California has a pretty good program, Covered California. We do get some subsidies. You know, we have a high deductible plan. And then we just try to stay as healthy as we can. I mean, that was the one big thing. We just sort of wanted to get out of the way. Everything else, we just try to, you know do what we can to stay healthy and keep our Covered California plan intact. Any other thoughts on the on the health care? I know that's a big question for a lot of people. And there's there's unfortunately, there's not a great answer for that. We've listened to a lot of panels talk about this, from health ministries to, you know, going overseas for certain things, you know, COBRA plans, which are really expensive. So... There's not a great answer other than really if your if your state happens to have a decent ACA program, which ours does. Yeah,
1: I think that's a part a big part of it is you have to do your research and see what's available to you. Like we went to our doctor and we, you know, tried all of the oh, try taking some Motrin, try taking some whatever medication. So we went that route with Dylan and I, and then the doctor said, okay, it's time for you to go see an orthopedic surgeon because this is beyond my scope of of expertise and the doctor so then it was another year of oh let's try some steroid shots or let's try some injections and and I think they finally realized that given Dylan's age the severity of the injury warranted having surgery done and it took a while because they definitely don't recommend having something this serious to, to rectify it with surgery this early in the game but so I think You know, healthcare is definitely the topic that is the number one concern for people retiring early.
0: Those are important things to think about as you're heading towards not only reducing your expenses, increasing your income, but also thinking about what the plan is afterward to make sure that you are protected. So I understand it's not just been travel and, you know, taking care of your health. You guys have been busy with a book. So what's this book all about? And tell us, is it okay to work in retirement? Tell us all about that.
2: Like you said, Start Your Fire, a modern guide to early retirement. And it just, you know, when we got back from our trip, we finished this book up within about a month and a half after that first chapter. And so we were writing feverishly because we had all these milestones from the, the publisher, but it just flowed right out of us. I mean, it was like you wouldn't believe because we've lived it. And so our publisher she had actually mentioned a couple times along the way, she's like, one, we've done, we've hardly had to do any editing to this, which is really unusual. Like basically what you guys put forth was, you know, we didn't have to do much to it. So that was one thing. And the second thing she said, which made me feel better was the people around her on her team were all saying, man, I wish we had this book when we were younger. And I was like, thank you. I mean, that's fantastic feedback. And I'm glad that you said that because I think a lot of people, including us, I wish we had a guidepost or some sort of an additional knowledge about finances earlier in life. It would have made things a little bit easier, but yeah.
1: Right, because we stumbled <laughs> upon this, and I think you were the one who actually introduced us to the FIRE life in the first place, so...
0: The movement. Yeah. I mean, I caught up with Dylan. I heard you guys' story. It was super motivating. One of my first interviews almost four years ago now. And yeah, time flies. Absolutely. And so I just want to say you guys have not only you know put together this story, but you're giving people that layout. I've had a chance to read the book. It's really well put together. It really gives you that structure of the why for fire and then also the how to get it done. So kudos to you guys for putting this together. It's been a blast having you back on the show. Where can people find the book and then connect with you?
2: I would recommend going to our website, retireby45.com, because we have a lot of information about our book there. So excerpts from the book and a link to Amazon. You can go to Amazon as well directly if you like. So either retireby45.com or Amazon and search for Start Your Fire.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you both for being here today. And guys, go there. Retireby45.com. Check it out and you will not be underwhelmed because this book has all of the detail you need to start your fire. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Andy. Take care. above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up, the code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. For our Be the Change segment this month, we are featuring Child help an organization whose goal is to meet the physical, emotional, educational, and spiritual needs of abused, neglected, and at-risk children. I've invited the Chief Communications Officer, Daphne Young, to tell us more about this organization. We're also going to discuss the state of child abuse in our country, how this affects our country as a whole, and what we can do about it. Welcome to the show, Daphne.
3: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell
0: us, how does child help define child abuse?
3: We address neglect physical injury, sexual abuse, emotional maltreatment, and as you mentioned, spiritual harm of children. Physical abuse is where a parent or caregiver causes a non-accidental injury to a child. And some of the signs and symptoms you might want to look for are not as obvious as bruises or broken arms, right? They, They are a child wearing long sleeves all summer long in peak heat to hide what's happened to them. Children who seem reticent to put their shoes on because they've been burned on the bottom of their feet, a child who's wearing a baseball hat all the time because hair has literally been snatched out of their head. It's heartbreaking, but watch for a little signs that just where you feel something in your gut is off and this child is acting a little strange and look for small clues to potential physical harm because almost 29% of adults have been physically abused in some way. So we know this is happening to children a lot. Sexual abuse occurs when an adult uses a child for sexual purposes and also when an older, more powerful child does the same. So peer-to-peer abuse is something you really want to watch out for in large households or in neighborhoods and 20% of adults have experienced this. When a caregiver harms a child's mental or social development, this is one of the hardest things to prove. Emotional abuse almost is never prosecuted and it breaks our hearts because it's usually a pattern of behavior that impacts a whole life. And about 10% of adults report being emotionally abused, but we know that every form of abuse has that emotional component, right? You can't go through any form without being damaged internally. And then neglect is when a parent or a caregiver doesn't give care or supervision, support to a child's health or safety. So that can be physical neglect. That's a little kid that you might see walking through the snow barefoot or never accompanied by a parent. But it's also emotional neglect which is just the complete withdrawal. I mean, you know, this show is all about family and kids and and imagine taking all that love and attention away from those children and just feeding and sending that child to bed. It's it's a heartbreaking aspect of neglect, medical neglect, not taking a child to the doctor when they're harmed and educational not investing in that child's future. So much of your work, it sounds like, is like planning for the future and getting ahead of the future a little bit. And part of that is educating your child and getting them to the next phase that they can invest in their lives. And so when you are lax in that, it's it's heartbreaking. And so those are just a few of the ways that kids can be harmed. And we try to have a holistic approach. And then the spiritual piece, you know, we get kids who come to us with the quote unquote devil beaten out of them and to have a chaplain on each of our sites to bring those children in and reconnect them with their faith or their spirit. And it doesn't matter what tradition the child comes from, Christian tradition, Jewish, we've had folks reach out to Native American spiritual leaders in the community and say, hey, we've got a child from your tribe. Can you come in and have those conversations because this child is hurting? So that's, that's sort of, we approach it holistically, but those are just some of the forms of abuse.
0: Much like hunger, this is almost one of those hidden problems in our country. So because it might not be visible to me every day, could you let me know how many children are affected by this type of situation in our country?
3: Well, that's the great unknown, right? You mentioned it's it's kind of like America's best kept secret. Five children die each day from abuse. A report is made every 10 seconds. Conservative estimates, you've probably got a little over 4 million child maltreatment referrals reported, received. Then you've got probably about 7.5 million children as part of those referrals. So that's just documented stuff. 3.2 receive prevention and post-response. So that means there's enough horrible reality that we can take action or do something to help these kids. But what we know is there are so many children in the shadows of abuse. And if you had a chance to see this heartbreaking documentary on Netflix, uh, Gabriel Fernandez story, we saw a story about a little boy who Every step of his life, there were people that could have advocated for him. So many people called on his behalf, and we still lost a child like that in the system. And there are tons of children like this that we just don't know about. You know, so much of your work is about about home and family. And, and what breaks our hearts is about 90% of children are abused by someone they know. So it occurs in the home, often without witness. A lot of these kids never get advocacy.
0: Something you brought up earlier is that not only is this affecting children, but over time, or as you've seen, the percentages of adults that have been affected by that in their lives is a high number. What does that type of situation do to our country? How does that affect us as a whole?
3: There's a thing called ACEs. It's about 10 questions. If you Google ACEs too high, you'll find those questions. And those are adverse childhood experiences. So if you take that test, everything from the divorce of a parent, which is kind of a lower level traumatic event, but still you know essential in a child's life, all the way up to severe abuse. And you take a test like that, And it impacts health. The way that study was done actually was a diet doctor, which is kind of a crazy way that we got all this information. So a diet doctor was having all of these pretty well-off women come to his program. You know, let's say they follow your model, they pay off their house, they have all this expendable income, they go and try to perfect their lives. And they show up at this diet doctor's office. And just as they're about to meet their goal, they drop off. And this guy's like, hey, this is a terrible business model. I, get, I don't get to show my success. They're almost there. They've reached their goal in this health and wellness program. And what he was discovering when he went back to interview the women is so many of them were survivors of sexual abuse, domestic violence, physical abuse, emotional abuse. And there was something about giving up on themselves and their health and their wellness. And what we see is that there are so many diseases and so many ailments that come from and early deaths that come from from being abused as a child. So it's a really big problem in our country. It impacts our health system, our mental health, you know, our healthcare, everything that we need to thrive as a society. It starts with that little child, which is a blank slate, Anything can happen to that child. And and here you have this wonderful miracle that can rise to the highest heights and you injure that child time and time and time again and you put them in the system and you have an adult that can be damaged. I I won't say they're damaged for life because I've seen people come back like never before and survivors are like the spirit of what we do. But boy, it puts a strain on, on everything that both that we do and also that that survivor goes through
0: talk about starting from way behind. I mean, I think I remember seeing a video where this coach or this individual said, Hey, why don't we create a race where we see how far we can get in life. But if you've had these things happen do you, take a step back. And that was really impactful to see that. I mean, I, I'm thinking of that as you're, as you're describing, you know, the race of life. And if somebody has been affected by these things in their lives, how much more difficult their lives would be. So let's talk about the solution or talk about how you guys are helping. What does child help do to help abused children.
3: Well, one of our founders, Sarah O'Meara, who I work with every day, she's been doing this 61 years and I still talk to her several times a day. She's running the joint. She's an amazing leader. And she said, you gotta throw everything but the kitchen sink at this problem. So we have child help villages where children who are so severely abused come and they live and they do art and animal therapy. And we have a non-public school on the premises. And these are kids that just need to heal from the inside out. And then we have children's advocacy centers where law enforcement and prosecution and therapists, medical staff all work together to advocate for children. We have foster care. We have group homes. We have adoption. The two major national programs that we have are the Child Health National Child Abuse Hotline, which is one eight hundred for a child. And that has 24/7 professional crisis counselors that are available to talk you through any forms of abuse. We have kids calling who are trapped at home with abusers right now. We have concerned citizens, you know, this is maybe where your audience comes in, where you're just like living in a neighborhood and you see something that's not right. You call our hotline and you say, okay, here's my address, my zip code, whatever I need, my local CPS to come out right now. What do I do? What do I document? How do I handle this? And then we have first responders that are saying, I've got to go to work. I don't have childcare anymore. It's COVID-19 time. I am strapped. What's my next step? And also survivors who are awake at about two o'clock in the morning who are calling us and saying, I don't have my groups. I don't have the gym. I don't have office. I don't have all the things that help me self soothe. And I'm just thinking about the past and I'm in a bad circumstance. And and we'll talk them through it. So that's one of our major national programs. And then we also have Child Help Speak Up Be Safe, which is our prevention education. And that's where a lot of people learn about the hotline. And that's all about body safety and telling a safe adult. And it's one of the things I think should be in every school in the nation. biased, but I believe that.
0: Well, you believe in the mission and it sounds like this mission's been around for over 60 years. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. 61 years and with our founders still involved every step of the way. So they lived, eaten and breathed child help uh, since they rescued 11 orphans and we're now over 10 and a half million children. So it's quite a journey
0: what an impact. That's beautiful. So talk about the ways that people can support your organization if they're feeling called or feeling, you know, filled up right now with your mission. What ways can they support
3: child help? Well, over 91 cents of each donated dollar goes directly to the children in our care. So if I know your audience, the finances are straight. They can look us up online.
0: Transparency is good. Absolutely. That's
3: right. And we have a critical relief fund. So if you go to childhelp.org, it's right on the front page. And we are directly supporting children who are impacted right now by COVID-19, trapped at home with abusers, texting us quietly from a bedroom, letting us know what's going on. And we can get law enforcement into that house in that moment while somebody is in another room, unknowing that that child is self-advocating. And every phase along the way. So it supports kids that are in desperate circumstances right now we call them the shadow kids the ones we can't find and also donating is amazing and we need that and it keeps all pistons firing but you can also become a mandated reporter of the heart so one of the things we're noticing is our hotline has gone up double digits so we are seeing calls like in may 43 percent higher than may of last year now we're seeing dcs and cps calls your local agencies go down why is that? Because teachers and coaches and all the people that take care of kids throughout the year are not seeing children. So, if every parent, neighbor, community member could just keep their eyes open, you know, we had one woman call in who was upset because her Grubhub food was disappearing. She said, These rotten kids are stealing my Grubhub food, right? And initially, she's kind of like, You know, this is frustrating. And what she discovered, Uh, Was that these children were starving? They had been abandoned in a hotel or in the apartment complex, and they were just coming to grab this food because they would see it on, you know, a little tiny kid running out and just stealing a bag of food to eat and just you know, dive into it because that child was so hungry and she was helping out a little sister too, who was even younger and, you know, here's some. And, and so they would eat whatever people were ordering. And so it took those extra eyes and, and an open heart to realize that these kids could be hurting. And they called us and we sort of talked through what was going on. And they realized that, yeah, I need to make that report and I need to help those kids. So just being, like I say, become a mandated reporter of the heart. You don't have to, have a legal reason to reach out and take care of kids
0: absolutely so yes money can help but also your voices can help as well as just being aware of this issue so i really appreciate you walking us through this daphne as you guys are looking towards the next five years yes we've got an impactful situation happening right now where do you hope that this organization will go over the next five years
3: well, one of the things that we're working on right now is is a concept called define the model where we've been, you know, doing this for so long but kind of in the heat of the urgency, right? And we haven't stepped back and said, "Okay, let's document all of the best practices. And we kind of do it through our regular tabling and reporting, but let's make it readable and accessible to people, not just in America, but throughout the globe. So we have this dream of defining the child help model, getting it into every single state, but also getting global models out there so that they understand how a best practices advocacy center works, how you can set up a hotline, not just in a metropolitan area, but you know, in a completely rural areas, somewhere in in a dark corner of the world that has very limited resources. So we're working with partners and trying to do some of that work. We've got a great grant for our hotline to be able to really study what we do. And so that's pretty exciting.
0: That's incredible. I love your organization. I love the mission that you have. I love the passion that's coming out of your voice for your mission. I really appreciate your time today, Daphne. Where is the best place where people can go to learn more about child help? And then if you could repeat that phone number again, I think that would be really helpful for folks.
3: Absolutely. It's 1-800-4-A-CHILD is the phone number. And that is for every child in crisis, but that is also for adults that need support, especially are we working a lot with young parents. It's also for teens that are stuck at home with their family and they're having a little bit of conflict. And maybe it's not broaching on abuse, but they need a little bit of extra support. So anyone, and survivors as well, anyone can call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. And you can also find that number on our website, which is www. and you can donate there. You can call our hotline immediately. You can give to the Critical Relief Fund and you can even create something called a fundraising team. Your crew, I think, is good at charting outcomes. So you can literally set up a thermometer. Your family can say, okay, the Joneses versus the Smiths, let's go. And you can do some fundraising for the kids and watch the progress just within your peer group. And we, again, just appreciate everybody giving voice to these kids because uh, a lot of them are unheard right now. So thank
0: you. Absolutely. Daphne, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much. I appreciate it too.
0: My hope is that as we build our wealth together as a community, we find ways to enrich our lives as well as those around us who truly need it. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do one quick thing to support this show. Please leave me a review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those reviews help more people to find and consider this show. To encourage you to leave a review for this show, each month we do a book giveaway. So we received four reviews since last month's giveaway offer of the following books. Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins, The Cash Machine by Dave Mason, And a children's book called Money Monsters by Akoma Moronu Schreiner. And these have all been past podcast guests of the show. So it's kind of a fun thing to do because we've interviewed these folks and now we get to give away their books because we're feeling, you know, happy and proud that we had them on and we want to honor them. So and to help me pick the winner this week, as always, I've got my assistant Zoe Hill with me here once again. How you doing, baby? Good. Oh, it's so good to see you, and so good to have you here. So, Zoe, this week I wrote a blog post about money books for kids, Mm. and I wanted to ask you,
4: what is your
0: favorite money book?
4: I have plenty, but my favorite one is If You Made a Million.
0: If You Made a Million. Yeah, that's a good one. We read that one a lot together. So why do you like If You Made a Million?
4: Mm, because it's funny, it tells you a lot about money, and it does like stacks of money.
0: Yeah, they show you different denominations of money, like they say, hey, if you had a thousand bucks, it would be a, whatever, hundred foot stack of pennies, something like that, right? That's correct. That's correct, yes. So it's fun, and you get to learn about different money, and then like, so do you like when we read money books together? Yes. You do? Why do you like it? I love it it 100 million percent. 100 million percent? Why do you like it?
4: Well, I like spending time with Daddy. Yeah. And, well, I just like books. Mm. I get to snuggle in my bed Mm -hmm. and read a
0: book. What's one thing that you've learned about money from Daddy reading these books to you?
4: You earn a lot
0: by doing
4: some important
0: things. Oh, that's genius. You are so smart. Oh, that's great. All right, let's get into this review. So we had four reviews, Zoe. Can you talk to your electronic friend about our reviews this week?
4: Hey, electronic friend. Pick a number between one and four. Your random number between one and four is four.
0: Excellent. Well, our fourth review It comes in from JMFB09. I don't know that person's name, but they call it an amazing show. And we're going to have Zoe read the review right now.
4: I've been listening since I first heard Andy on How To Money. It's been great to hear different stories every week as my family tries to get ahead. We've just paid off a car and a personal loan while refinancing our mortgage for
0: a 15-year term. Awesome. Thank you very much, Zoe. And thank you, JMFB09, which hopefully (laughs) I will find out your real name soon because I don't have your email. So if you're listening to this, please take a screenshot of your review and send it to us at andy at marriagekidsmoney.com. That way we can send you your book choice and we would love to thank you and send you that book. So everybody, if you want to hear your review read on this show by, me. by Zoe, we're going to be doing it again next month. So please leave a review, an Apple podcast or Stitcher. We're going to be giving away the same books same Zoe and same process. So please do that for us. That would be really great. And Zoe, thank you very much for doing this once again. I love you very much. Thank you, Dada. This month on the show, we've scheduled an all-star lineup. On August 10th, we've got financial coach Erica Young, and she's going to join us to discuss how to deal with money issues in a relationship. The week after that, August 17th, we're answering another listener question, and the mortgage-free Christina Marriott is going to show us how to get your house paid off by 40. And then the week after that, August 24th, we've got personal finance writer Lee Huffman. He's going to join us to discuss why now is a great time to bank up your travel rewards miles and points, because we can't really travel much now. So he's going to show us how to do it, bank it up, and that way we can use it for the future. And then the last Monday of the month, millionaire twin moms, Nadia Bussoy and Nicole Ozelge share why dividend investing is a smart way to reach financial independence. So we've got a great lineup, everybody. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast today so you don't miss any of the action. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show and Alec Collins for bringing our episodes to life on YouTube. If you want to check them out on YouTube, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube. I would appreciate it. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Anne Frank. How wonderful it is that nobody need to wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Build your wealth and make the world a better place with your time, your knowledge, and your money. Carpe diem.